We're in a series that I've entitled Recommit, where we're taking a look at the five commitments to help you and I reach our redemptive potential. And we have taken a, we've taken a look at our commitment to Christ, then our commitment to the church, and then last week we talked about our commitment to connect, because that's where you and I really grow. You don't grow by you sitting still and I instilling. Truly, growth happens when we get in community, biblical community, where we learn together, we're able to discuss and come up with applications, where we share life and we do life deeply. Today, we're going to take a look at the fourth commitment, and that is a commitment to serve and how God wants to, you to use your experiences in life, and you have lots of them how he wants you to use your experiences in life for his glory and for your good. Now, a verse that goes along with that thought is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It is a very popular verse. So let's start off by just taking a look at that one. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of, of those who love him, who have been called according to to his purpose. Now, what does that verse say in light of our experiences in life? Well, let me tell you first what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that all things work out the way that you and I want them to work out. That all things work uh, out in the way that there's a happy ending. That all things are good. It's not saying that. Well, then, Pastor George, what is it saying? Well, let's take this verse apart, okay? It says that we know. We don't guess, we don't hope, we don't wish, we don't want. We know this is a certainty. Just as, as certain as the sun rises every morning, we know. We know what? We know that in all things, will you circle the word all? All means all, all the time. Does that include decisions that I have made that I didn't have full knowledge of? Yes, does that mean stupid decisions? Yes. Does that mean dumb decisions? Yes. Does that mean my failures and my sins? Yes. Does it mean my successes? Yes. Does it mean abortion? Yeah. Miscarriages? Yeah. Divorce? Yeah. Bankruptcy? Cancer? Yes. God fits it all in together in his plan. Now, it's pretty obvious that not all things are good, that evil exists in this world. God is not the author of evil. God grieves when he sees evil, but he has allowed it because he doesn't force his will on us. He's given us the freedom to choose, and sometimes, unfortunately, we choose wrong. So we know we know that in all things, God works together for good for those who love God and been called according to his purpose. In other words, there is a grand design. Your life is not an accident. God has designed it from beginning to end. It, 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 he's saying that it's not about luck, that it's not about fate, that it's not about karma, that there is a design on your life. That design is for what? It's for good. Even when bad happens, Pastor George, yes. 
He, God, loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections. He loves to take our mistakes and bring good out of it. God works together for good for those who love the Lord and been called according to his purpose. This is a promise for those who have said yes to the very first commitment, committing themselves to Christ. If you have not committed yourself to Christ, guess what? Not everything's gonna work out for good. If you're thumbing your nose at God, if you are ignoring the creator and his design on your life, not everything's gonna work out for good. This isn't a promise for non-believers. This is a promise for those who have said, God, I love you and I wanna fulfill the purposes, the five purposes that you have for me. God says, then everything's gonna work out for good. Truly one of the reasons why I love to worship God is because my God likes to take my messes and turn it into a message. My God likes to take my trials and turn it into a testimony. My God likes to take the crisis and the chaos that's in my life and he likes to bring, and he likes to see Christ shown through it. He loves to take the bad and bring good out of it. This is the mystery and the miracle of God's will for you. And yet it's really not a mystery. How many of us this past season, holiday season, had chocolate chip cookies? May I see your hands? Go ahead, confess your sins right now. I know we, I should do a diet message. You see, a chocolate chip cookie is made up of a lot of bad things. Five bad parts, one good part. Shortening, bad. Flour, bad. You ever taste flour? <laughs> Baking soda, salt, sugar, mm, okay, depends on what, how amount. Chocolate chips, depends even on the chip, okay, right? But it's amazing, five bad parts with one good part. You mix it all together, you throw it in the oven for 350 degrees for 10 minutes and man, it comes out and it's really good. How does that work? It's a mystery. How does God take the good, the bad, and the ugly in your life and bring good out of it? It is the mystery and the miracle of God. This morning, how does he do that? Because he wants to do it in your life. We're gonna take a look at three things on how God wants to make your life into a chocolate chip cookie, okay? Real quickly, first of all, you must embrace your life experiences. You must embrace them, the good, the bad, and the ugly ones, the right ones, the wrong ones, the ones that you're proud of and the ones that you're ashamed of. You've got to stop running from your past. Take a look at Galatians 3, verse 4. You have experienced many things. Were all those experiences wasted? I hope not. Folks, as your pastor, I hope you don't waste any of your experiences either. Now, the problem with some of our experiences, though, are that, is this. Some of them have been very painful, and so we like to avoid them. 
We like to deny our past. We like to ignore our past. We like to rewrite our past. We like to discount our past. But God says, if you're in denial, he will not be able to use it for good. God can use your experiences in life, those that you like and those that you don't like. But in order for him to do that, you have got to stop running from your past and you have got to own it. Now, in order to own it, what you have to do is that you have to first remember them and then stop pushing and stop pushing them out of your mind. Take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 2. Remember what you have learned about the Lord through your experiences with him. Will you circle the word remember? How do you remember? There's one simple way. You journal. And when I say journal, I'm not saying diary. Diary is all about writing down your feelings. Hey, I'm a guy. I don't do that kind of stuff, okay? Journaling is writing down the lessons that you've learned. And I have a whole file of journals. A lot of my messages, those are my journals. God, teach me about self-esteem. Teach me how about make decisions. Teach me how to be an authentic leader. Teach me, God, how to put marriages back together. They are my journals that I think and I write out and I get biblical. And those help me to remember. Now, why is it important to write down the lessons that you've learned or to, to journal? It's because hindsight is always 2020, is it not? Your understanding of history is far greater and better than your understanding of the future. And so it makes a whole lot more sense looking backwards so as to determine what you need to do in the present as opposed to just looking into the future. Take a look at John 13, verse 7. Jesus brings this principle out. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. You and I almost never understand what God is doing in our life in the present. It's only as we look back, as we look in the rear view mirror, we probably all heard ourselves say at one time or another, you know, at, this, at, the, at the time, I didn't know what in the world was going on. But now that I'm on the backside of it, now I see what God was doing. Now I see what God was trying to teach me. Now I see what God was trying to bring about in my life. There's a whole story about this in a guy named Joseph. He's kind of midway through Genesis, okay, to the end. And Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, okay, and he ended up in Egypt, not four days, not for 40 months, for 40 years. And when he had an encounter with his brothers, after 40 years of slavery in Egypt, this is what he said in Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now, I hate to tell you this, but there are some people that are out to get you. They do not want to see you prosper. But understand this, God is bigger than the problems they're gonna bring in to your life. He is bigger than the pain that, he, that they are gonna introduce into your life. He brings good out of it. So the first thing you have to do is you have to embrace, embrace your life experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Secondly, you've got to extract the lessons you got to pull the lessons from your life experiences. 
Socrates said it like this. An unexamined life is not worth living. Truly, I have met some people who are, I don't know, in their mid-50s, and they only have one year experience. And they just keep repeating that again and again and again and again. And why is it that way? Because they've never taken the time to pause and to reflect. Take a look at this verse out of 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine and test and evaluate your own selves. Now let's just stop right there. In the last few months, last few weeks I should say, I've been encouraging us to do a spiritual uh, health assessment for two purposes. One for your good and one for me. I get a picture of the church. I wanna encourage you to take this because it will help me to understand what I need to focus in on this next year. But it's important. Every year I do a spiritual health assessment on my life because I don't like status quo. And if there's something that's remained the same for a while, I go, hey, we need to change that up. We, we gotta change something. There's something we gotta, we gotta be growing. We gotta be making progress. And so a spiritual health assessment is valuable for you to do the same thing. It will determine where you're at. Then in my next series, I will help you take either baby steps, crawl steps, walk steps, or running steps, depending on where you're at. And I'll give you that information. But you gotta take the assessment. This is what Paul's talking about. Examine and test and evaluate your, your own selves to see whether you are holding to your faith. Do you not realize by an ever-increasing experience that Jesus Christ is in you? So what is he saying here? He's saying, haven't you learned as you've gone through life experiences that God's been with you the whole way? I mean, we've all seen the little picture, you know, uh, footprints in the sand and the you know, ray, oh, where were you? Hey, I was the one that was carrying you through that. And that's what, in essence, Paul is saying here. He says, if you don't realize that God's been with you in all your experiences in life, it's only because you haven't recorded them and you haven't examined them and tested them and evaluate them. Now, when you examine and extract, what are you looking for? You're looking for three things. You're looking for benefits, patterns, and lessons. You look for benefits. What did I enjoy about this experience? You look for patterns, particularly within your failures, which means you gotta stop whining and moaning and crying, okay? No. You ask, how can I be different? What can I learn from this? I wanna be different. You see, those who, those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. And then thirdly, you learn, you look for lessons. You learn the lessons from that experience. Take a look at Job 32, verse seven. The longer you live, the wiser you become. Now, will you write beside that verse, this is not a promise, it's a possibility, okay? Just because you're old doesn't mean that you got all this wisdom, okay? I'm a good case in point, right? It's just a possibility, so here's my definition of maturity. Maturity is when you extract meaning out of life experiences. It's when you learn the lessons that whatever God is wanting you to learn from that experience. And you may have brought it on yourself or it may have been imposed on you from without. Nevertheless, he wants you to extract the lesson. So you embrace your experiences, you extract the lessons, and then number three, you employ them to help others. Now here's the deal. 
when you and I realize that the purpose of your life is greater than your own happiness, your problems will take on a new perspective. You will come to a place where you will use them to help other people. Paul in Philippians, when he wrote that book, he is writing from Rome in prison, tied to guards, chained to guards 24-7. He couldn't even go to the bathroom by himself. Some of you mothers know what that's like. But he said this, I want you to know, my friends, that the things that have happened to me have really helped the progress of the gospel. He's saying, guys, you Philippian Christians and everyone else who's reading this letter, I just want you to know something. Actually, where I'm at and what is happening right now is for the ultimate good of the spreading of the gospel. That is a different perspective, is it not? He's not whining, he's not complaining, he's not crying. Folks, he's got a bigger perspective. Now here is the reality. God wants to use you. He wants to use the good and the bad and the ugly in your life. And he wants to use it to help other people. How does that happen? How do we employ that? Well, before we get into that, I want to invite up our new director of LifePoint Women's Ministry, Shauna Scouton. So let's give Shauna a big round. Okay. Shauna, glad you're here. Isn't she hip? I mean, look at those, those shoes. They, they, re- they clash with you, but that's okay. That, yeah. Yours are better than mine this morning, so... Anyway, I always look for disciples that wear shoes like mine. That's a, that's a disciple right there. It's not true. Okay. Shauna, okay. Um, glad you're our new women, uh, LifePoint Women's Ministry Director. Thank you. Okay. Yes. And uh, I'd like them, I'd like our church, you know, this is second time around. You'll do great as you did the first one. But tell us a little bit about your story. How, how did you come to know Christ? Let's, let's start there. I just want to say, as I was sitting here in those awful moments when it's leading up to hit the time for him to call you up on the stage and have you condense a life into a couple of minutes. Because it's all about me. (laughs) It is. But um, there was a a lot I didn't say uh, in the first service because when you're trying to think of the things, right, when you're trying to tell your story, um, and then you get up here and things just kind of drift out of the mind. Um, I was thinking about the journaling and that kind of led to that moment uh, that Christ um, became foundational for me. And I had kept journals uh, since high school, really. Um, And I was able to kind of go back and trace uh, from 2002 kind of what led up to when I walked in the doors here. Um, For me, coming to Christ, I think probably for a lot of you, was um, many years after many things had happened. Mm -hmm. And um, I truly, I think, surrendered to Christ at a time um, after uh, many, many seasons of things, but I had experienced um, 
kind of a, a devastating miscarriage in 2000. And it really, it truly was a crisis of faith. Mm-hmm. And I, I really knew at that point I had not really surrendered uh, to him at that point. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when it got to a really desperate point for me, um, after I, you know, got through the miscarriage, ended up giving birth to my middle daughter um, in 2001. But um, I can remember the day that it happened, and I just had that moment where I thought, I, I really have nowhere else to turn. Um, and Christ stepped in, and I got a mailer um, from Grace at the time, LifePoint. Yeah. Uh, and that was in 2002. And I walked in here and I was, had shared with PG earlier, the thing about uh, that happened at LifePoint for me was that Christ did the, the saving part, but it's the family that, of LifePoint that has taught me then how to live for him. Yeah. Um, and that led up to you and I talking about this today. I just want to comment there. I, I think this is reflective of LifePoint, um, that we are a church that desires to be transformational and not transactional. And what I mean by that is we just don't want to be a church that um, just gives, okay, just gives you stuff and, oh, that's it. No, we want to, we want to do life together deeply. We, we want to have a relationship. And honestly, that's why I'm at second base. I'm there just talking to people. I don't hide in my closet. I don't hide in the green room. I don't, I don't hide, you know, somewhere else. I, I want to be with God's people and, and do life together deeply and where we can be real. Yeah, we have losses in our life, but God uses them for good. So. Absolutely, absolutely. So how did that get you to, okay, women's ministry, huge, you know. And that, that's, that was a long road. I mean, yeah. that was 2002, um, I was introduced immediately from the wonderful welcome team at the time um, to the woman that would become my personal mentor uh, since 2002. And the thing about LifePoint that I experienced for the first time, I think, in my life, I was truly ministered to and understood what that looked like. Um, And so for the past 16 years... um, my mentor, along with many others, um, have faithfully walked me through all seasons of life. Um, just look at me. I even lose the, the original question. But no, um, what led us up to today was the fact that it, it's been 16 years in the making for me personally. Yeah. It was going to the women's Bible studies. It was investing um, heavily into learning other women's stories um, and trying to make those connections. And I truly saw the only way to do that is actually being engaged. And it's those one-on-one mentor relationships. And that truly is my heart because I know that was transformational for me. And I think like a lot of people, men and women, mm-hmm. uh, maybe you don't grow up with that, whether it's through your own family or just whatever the dynamic was you've never really experienced someone that is truly in all the messy part of life with you. And I think that's what I found here. uh, And that is my heart um, for the women and the men of LifePoint. I think part of that, uh, why that occurred is because 
truly like our founding name, Grace. We're right. very grace-oriented. Hey, that's okay. As I like to say, hey, we all have our poison. You know, choose your poison, right? And the things that you struggle with, but hey, let's do life together deeply. Now, I know you're not doing this all alone. I've got the names of the okay. team, so I'm gonna, <laughs> okay. I, I don't want to miss anybody okay. and be in trouble and get an email from them. I hate you, Pastor George. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> a, a, Allie Rodriguez, Carrie Beckridge, Julia Deutsch, Peggy uh, Schmidt, uh, Wendy Smith and Sandra Tollison are a part of this yes. team of this new LifePoint Women's Ministry that you're leading. So, and many others, and obviously, others, are helping. Yeah, absolutely, others, but that's kind of the core. So, right. tell us a little bit about the ministry as you as you see it at this point. The ministry um, is going to focus on a lot of things. Uh, it is going to be pulling as many resources together as we can to. You know, I think, should anybody be able to walk out and say there was nothing for me, right? I, I couldn't find anywhere to get engaged. There are, um, truly, I think what's so great about this church is that there is somebody for everybody. Do you know what I mean by that? That there's, whatever season you're in, whatever, wherever you are, even in your relationship with Christ, there is somebody um, that is either a step ahead of you or a step behind you that you can get engaged with. Uh, in women's ministry, there are a lot of ways that we want to do that. I, there are women's Bible studies that are getting ready to start here in the next week or so. Um, there are, starting February 7th, uh, the first Wednesday of February, we'll be in the New Connection Center, and there will be, um, it's called The Loop, and it will be a time for women to come, spend a couple of hours, it's come and go, have coffee, meet your old friends there, make new friends there, and we're just going to, it's relational, and it is just investing in each other, and we're going to find ways to serve together in the church and in the community, um, and just really do life together, yeah. like you like to say, and I also, um, there are, there is a retreat coming up in April. Um, but we have information about all of that out at the, um, the table. That's great. Well, give them your best shot. Go for it, okay? <laughs> Look, they're, oh. they're confused. <laughs> you're, you're clapping way too early. She got one more point she really wants to nail, right? Go for it, Shauna. This happened in the first service as well. Um, I, it's hard to express, really, um, in a minute or so, how much this means to me personally. Um, and I know there are a lot of women that uh, long to make those connections. If you're blessed to have one or two friends, isn't that the saying, uh, then you're really blessed. Um, I have been incredibly, ridiculously blessed by the number of uh, deep, deep relationships that I have uh, through women in this church. And that's not by accident. I mean, that's, that's years of investment on their part and my part as well. And I think it's kind of like in Scripture, it says, if you're hungry, God's going to feed that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what's happened. And I think... What I have learned over the years here is truly that you get out what you, right? Yeah, put in. You put in. And I want every woman to understand here, wherever you're starting from, wherever you're at in your life, you've been here with Pastor George for 30 years, you're just walking in the door today for the first time, 
every woman is welcome. Yeah. And we want to find ways to, you know, get you involved. And wherever that is um, in your life, come join us over in the coffee hours. Follow us on Facebook. Come to the Bible studies. Email us. Call us. Whatever it is that we can help you get engaged um, to truly have that life in Christ that you're looking for as well, that's what we want to offer. Now let's give it up for Shauna. All right. You did great. You did great. <laughs> okay. How do we employ the experiences that we have? The good, the bad, and the ugly ones. Let me give you four things real quick so that we can get out to the ministry fair. Number one, use them to minister to others. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 1. In our trouble, God has comforted us, and this, too, to help you, to show you from one personal experience how God will tenderly comfort you when you undergo these same sufferings. He will give you the strength to endure. Paul's saying here that God is going to take you through the tunnel of chaos, and as he does, he is going to strengthen you. He is going to comfort you. He is going to help you so that you, in turn, can comfort and strengthen and help others who are going through the same thing. In other words, God blesses you in the tunnel of chaoses of life so that you can be a blessing to others. He helps you so that you can help others. And so God says, Use your experiences. Don't waste them because if you, if you don't use them, all you get out of that experience is pain. And God has so much more than just pain. And who's better to help someone than someone who's gone through a similar experience? Who's better to help a cancer, person who has cancer than a cancer victim? Who's better to help an addict than a person who's gone through that addiction? Who's better to help women than a woman who's been well-mentored? Like I've said a thousand times, God never wants you and I to waste a hurt. But if we do, all we get out of it is pain. So, why do we do that? Well, it's because a lot of times with our pain, we just want to forget it, don't we? Hey, that's done with, I'm moving on. I want to forget about that, that stuff. And yet that is the very thing that God could build a great ministry with. And again, like I said, if you don't use it, all you get out of it is pain. So you embrace, you extract, you employ them to help others. Number two, you use your experience to motivate others. You use your experience to minister to people in pain, but then you use your experiences to motivate others who are discouraged. Your pain can actually inspire other people in their discouragement when they are feeling down, do be do down, down. Why? Because they can see that you've gone through it. Take a look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Encourage one another and help one another. This is what I call one, the one another verses. There are 54 one another verses in the New Testament alone that you and I can't you do unless we're in community together. But he says, encourage one another and help one another. How do you and I do that? In three ways. By giving people hope 
by helping people overcome fears and by breaking barriers. Now, those three things, giving people hope, breaking barriers, and helping people to overcome fears only happens when you speak from your experiences. Truly personal experiences are always more impactful than just teaching. I I tried Tide. You ought to try it too. I ate at Rusty Tacos. Boy, it was really good. You ought to try it too. I tried FPU. I was $25,000 in debt, but in two years, I got out of debt. No credit cards. You ought to try it too. I am a man struggling, and I need some accountability in my life. I went to a men's ministry event. You ought to try it too. It's like a commercial. If you've gone through it, and you share your story. People get encouraged. I think I'm gonna check this out. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 4, 6. For your sake, my friends, I've applied all this to Apollos and myself using the two of us as an example so that we, so that you may learn. So your experiences motivate others when they're discouraged. Number three, you use them to model for others. We're not just to minister to people in pain. We're not just to motivate those who are discouraged, but we are to model. We are to help people with the how. Take a look at Philippians 3, 17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Paul's saying here, follow my example. I'm a model. And when he said that, he's not being prideful, folks. You see, to be a model You don't have to be perfect. All you have to do is be something similar to the original. That's what a model is, like a model airplane or a model car. It's just a littler rendition of the real thing. And Paul is saying here, guess what? I'm just a littler rendition of the real one, Jesus Christ. Now, folks, honestly... I would rather you be a model that other people will imitate in our culture than the rock stars and the celebrities that are out there. Honestly. Because they're not even trying to follow Christ. At least you and I are. We're trying to be little representations of the real thing that's out there. Now, I think all of us would say, that Jesus was the most successful teacher to have ever lived. Why? It's because he left clues. He left clues for others to follow. And how did he do that? Through modeling. You see, Jesus just didn't come and teach. There's an instance that brings us to the forefront in our minds where he's wanting the disciples to learn about servant leadership, which is all leadership should be this way. And so he doesn't teach it, he does it. He gets on his hands and knees and he washes the disciples' feet. And then he says this in John 13, I have given you a model to follow so that as, so that as, as I have done for you, you should also do. Jesus modeled and then he instructed. Parents, listen. How do you train up your kids to go in the right way? You model it. 
You model it, and then you have to explain it because sometimes they don't get it, right? But then when they see it and you've taught it, wow, that's what Jesus did. So here's my question for you. Who do you need to be a model to? Your kids? Your spouse? Fellow workers? Someone in church? Do you have any concerns about the next generation? Guess what? Look at this verse, Titus 3.14. Our people should also learn how to set an example by doing good things when urgent needs arise so that they can live productive lives. You know what? You can get involved in Razor. You could be a mentor there, reaching the next generation. Number four, you use your experiences to mentor others. Now understand mentoring is intentional. Take a look at 1 John 1.3. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. What is a mentor? It's a guide, it's a counselor, it's a coach. So be a guide, be a counselor, be a coach, or get one. If you're gonna get a coach, if you're gonna get another woman to walk with you as a lady through life, what is it that you look for? Three things. One, you look for same worldview, i.e. you make sure they're a believer. And then number two, you look for experiences and perspective. Take a look at this verse, Proverbs 25, 12. A warning given by an experienced person to someone willing to listen is more valuable than gold rings or jewelry. In other words, a person's experience, as you listen to their story, as, they, as you ask questions and they give you input, that, that, those experiences are priceless to you. Take a look at Job 32, verse seven. Age should speak and experience should teach wisdom. So, mentor. As we close, I just want to raise this question. What kind of impact would our church experience if you shared your experiences? What kind of impact would it have on our little children? What kind of impact would it have on our students? What kind of impact would it have on the adults that go to LifePoint Church? What kind of impact would it have just within the walls of our church? What kind of impact would your experiences have on our larger community? You see, we've got our, our partners, our, our, our homeless partners out there in the hallway because we're one. But what would our community look like if we truly started to use our experiences, if we embraced them, if we extracted from them, if we employed them to give people hope, to help them overcome their fears, to break barriers that exist out there? I would say this, our church would be a different place. Our community would look different and our world would change. God says this, don't waste your experiences. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna give a couple of instructions and I want us to go out there and I'll let you out 15 minutes early so don't just run out to the parking lot on me, okay? 
If I'd have known that, you can stay in here because I got, I got two hours worth of material that I condensed down in, in 30 minutes, okay? So let's pray, okay? Lord, we just thank you that you are a good God and that in your goodness, when challenges come, when bad happens, when we're feeling uncomfortable, when we're in pain, you're a God who redeems it. You turn it into good. And we thank you for that, God. Truly, it gives us hope for tomorrow because our hope is grounded in who you are in your name. Our hope is grounded in the fact that you are with us as we go through the valleys and the shadows of death. God, I thank you for that. Help our church. Help us, God to know where we're at and what next step we need to take that we might be all that you want us to be because we want to be different so as to make a difference, God. And so we give this to you in your son's name. Amen.